We are all born artists and creators, yet slowly but surely our false programming from society, culture, and family takes us down a different path. I was born a spiritual gangster, and the awakened dad is the journey back to myself. My name is Brent Hurd, and I've taken the journey of achieving what I thought was success and found myself lying on an operating table facing the edge of life. My mission is to help as many of us reclaim who it is that we truly are and help 100 million children live out their greatest lives. Join me each Thursday in listening to the stories of those who have made it back to themselves and lived a life of fulfillment and joy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to The Awakened Dad. This is arguably one of the most important episodes And the reason it's one of the most important episodes is because a very special lady is on this episode, and that lady is my mom. So please help me welcome mom, aka Barbara Hurd, to the show. We talk about my life. We talk about a lot of the lessons that she has learned along the way. And just some amazing nuggets in life. I learned a tremendous amount through this interview. So hope you enjoy. Please leave me a review, subscribe, comment. Would be amazing so we can share this message. Thanks so much. Hope everybody has a great listen and looking forward to hearing from you. Welcome, mom. Okay, so let's welcome... Ladies and gentlemen of the Awakened Dad, let's welcome probably the most important guest I will ever have on this show. And the reason she is the most important guest is because she is my mother. Welcome to the show, Mom. Thank you, Brent. I am honored to be your guest. Oh man, boy, is this going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it all we got. Let's, <laughs> so you guys are going to get to know the real mom and know where I came from and know about all this, all this goodness. So, so mom, you know, the first question I wanted to ask you was, as you have really has have been the closest thing to me my entire life for 47 years, you know, as a kid, when I was growing up, did you see any of this stuff, you know, all this fun stuff that I like to talk about? What did you, how would you have described me as a young child? Probably, Brent, I would say there was never a moment that I did not feel your specialness. And that means that you were always able to connect and tune in to me as your mom. There were times that you knew what I needed before I knew what I needed. And I think that showed up a lot because of the way we connected when you were my, my youngest born baby coming yeah. up the ranks. And so that, wow, that's really interesting. You've never actually said that to me. So, so meaning, meaning mm-hmm. I, I would know what you needed before you knew what you needed. What, tell me, tell, let's talk a little bit more about that. Give me some, yeah. Uh, well, some, this was, of course, you were able to articulate it more as you got older, but I think you would be able to come into the house and immediately feel my energy. And if it was a bad day or even if I just had a fight with your dad or whatever was going on, you were able to sit and sit down next to me and give me that wonderful empathetic energy that I believe was your specialness. You tuned into people, you tuned into me, you tuned into many people. But there were many times, and of course, as as you got older, that the phone would ring and I would be thinking, oh, I wish I would hear from Brent. And Brent would be on the other line, Mm. even knowing sometimes what I was thinking. And I don't think that's just that specialness was with you and me. I think you had that with a lot of people. Mm. In the sense of... 
being able to tune into them or know what it is that they needed or were thinking or what yeah. me, more of that? Yeah. Like a girlfriend, even a guy friend. You you were always that guy who was there to soften the blow, to make them feel that whatever path or page they were on was going to be worked through no matter how depleted or down and out they were you were there to build them up and make them feel better mm. and then I was just that I guess because I lived with you I tuned into that all the time and you and I experienced many things together just the two of us that made our energy intertwined mm -hmm. whether it was going on a ride or going to a movie or even going to get ice cream i mean even the time when you and i were living alone in in um shark no new orleans mm -hmm. no it wasn't it was albany new york oh and we went to a movie i took you to a movie and you didn't want to be seen with me and i felt that and you looked around, you saw some of your friends, and I knew it. And instead of you being anxious about it or getting angry or, or not realize, understanding the feelings, you just said, Mom, I really don't want to be with you right now. My friends are there, and I don't want them to think I'm out with my mother. <laughs> and, and that's pretty special instead of, you know, just trying to skirt around yeah. it or getting mad that you're with your mother. You, you just gently said, Mom, I don't want to be with you right mm -hmm. now. And I thought that was so terrific that you could verbalize that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And know it was going to be received well. Yeah, no, that's that's so interesting. So, so how did this, how did my energy, or like how did you see it interact with Dad? I mean, because Dad, obviously, totally different personality than you, had a much sort of stronger kind of, you know, place in him. How'd that work with him in what you saw? I I think you made him a better person many times. I think you're, he couldn't fight your gentleness. Mm. And, and, and dad, there was just dad and he was a more abrasive guy and he tuned in somewhat to your gentleness and became, I know with you, he was a more gentle, loving, kind soul. And I think that's because of the energy you're projected. Mm -hmm. Dad was pretty strong in his own energy, but that didn't dissuade you. You just were able to get inside of his head and his heart. And he was soft. He was yeah. soft. And maybe because he saw you when you were born. Mm -hmm. you, you were the only child he saw being birthed. And I think there was another connection because of that as well. Right, right. And so I know, and I talk about this a lot, that we used to have these, these moments of what I like to call our coffee talks where, you know, what, what I was, and I don't know how young we did it, but you know what, I remember this like tin can of mocha, some sort of mocha chocolate coffee flavor. And, and we used to have coffee time together. And the coffee time was like this time where I could talk about how I was feeling and about my emotions. What, how did that, how did you kick that off? Or how did that, give me, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, you, you, ah, you might've been in second grade when we started doing that. We, we just, we initially just kind of started having conversations when you came home and it was just a good set. It was almost kind of like a little meditating time back then mm. where the two of us would just talk to each other and listen to each other and you, and some, and then it turned into let's have a, let's have some coffee and like flavored hot chocolate, basically. And we called it coffee. And then you were just, you were overflowing always with energy when you would talk about your day or, Oh, oh, sometimes it would be your, the sports you played and you were so, you were a gentle, tender soul and you would get hurt occasionally yeah. during sports. And yeah. that was very hard for you because you didn't want to cry. You did not want to cry. <laughs> I didn't want to cry, meaning no. like in sports or I didn't want to cry 
like around other guys or what do you mean? You know, I think you're, you more or less your feelings were hurt because you couldn't take on. And of course, the one thing I do remember is that uh, bull, the uh, oh, bull, yeah. what was New Orleans the football? Yep. The, the, I was in the, uh, they put me in the, the bull the ring. Bull ring. Yep. Why don't you talk? Why don't you talk about that one? That's a good. That's a good oh, story. God, yeah, let's let. Why don't you let a, let all my all my people know about yes, the bull sir, ring? Sir. Yeah. Well, you were definitely a sportsman, yeah. and you loved sports, and you wanted to prove yourself. And the time, and that day, you came home from practice, and you were, you know, practice was good, mom. And then you talked. As you talked you had tears were coming out of your eyes and you were saying, mom, you know what they did today. And you did, and you were just crushed. I think because it hurt your feelings more than your body. Yeah, Your body wasn't hurt, but your feelings were hurt that they would pick on you like that. Yeah. And that, and they, and that was to toughen you up because you were such a gentle soul. Right. And just for the edification for everyone, the bull ring was, I guess I was in what grade? Third, fourth grade? Fifth? Yes. Something? Uh, well, you were in cold classic, so. Yeah, so third or fifth, maybe fifth grade. Fifth maybe grade. Maybe fifth grade. Yeah. Maybe fifth grade. And so the bull rink was where I was put in the middle of every player on the team in a circle, and the coach would call out the number of a player, and that player would run as fast as he could at me when I was in the middle. And he would hit me with his pads and I'd have to hit him back. And then coach would call the next number fast and they would run in the middle and hit me. And I'd have to turn to make sure I knew where every kid was coming because if I didn't, they could blindside me. And the reason the coach put me in the bull rink was because we were, I remember this vividly, we were doing calisthenics and we were like stretching one leg. And I said to him, Hey, you know, isn't it time to move to the next leg? And he looked at that as disrespectful and he put me in the bull rink. And that just crushed me. God. Yeah. It was so, I mean, my heart hurt so much for you that day. Yeah. You you weren't tough to begin with. And then that being misunderstood. Yeah. And you, and you had no control over his reaction. Right. Right. And you had to look tough. Oops. You had to look tough. Like you could do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. It, It crushed you. Yeah. It did. Did it impact me? I mean, did it affect me? Like, it didn't stop you. It didn't stop me. You went me. back out there and you did it again. Yeah. And you actually, to be honest, I think it maybe toughened you up a little bit. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. I really do. I, I get your feelings, not necessarily your body, but yeah. you know, you were able to dismiss it and realize that it didn't define you. Uh huh. Were uh-huh. by any means, you were just. It just showed your your sensitivity. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go back because you talked about second grade and the thing that popped into my head was when grandpa died and when he was in our home. So I'm going to just set the story up. So my grandfather, my mom's dad was sick with esophageal cancer and the last six weeks of his life, he, or eight weeks, he lived in our home in Albany, in Del Mar, New York. And every day when I would come home from school, he would be on his hospital bed in our living room and I would be with him a lot. And I just, that story always feels very impactful to me in my life because I don't know, just like, you know how I feel very connected to people, even people who have passed. And the, the situation with him was so unique because I was with him and got very close with him. And then the night that he died, it was in the middle of the night and no one woke me. Now I was seven or eight years old, so you wouldn't think to wake a kid, but take through the story about, about, about Mm -hmm. kind of what happened after that, after the next morning. Well, the, I mean, death was a part of life in our house by bringing grandpa there. It just became a normal part of our lives. And you would march in after school and you'd go, actually you'd bring the urinal to grandpa Mm. and go and and help him because that was your job. That's what you did. And you would sit with him and you'd play, then you'd say, I'm going to play ball and you'd go play ball. So it was just a normal part of your world. And you never really got to know him very well 
But he would have been so, so, so impressed with you, Brent, your loving kindness and goodness. But at any rate, you did. You were with him all the time. And then the night he died, and I think it was impactful for you. I, I, made, I made a choice not to wake you, and that was the wrong choice. You had been there with him living through, in, through his death the whole time in our house. And when he finally he did pass, I, wa- I was saying, why should we wake Brent? Let him sleep. We'll tell him in the morning. And then that morning when you woke up and grandpa wasn't there, yeah. you were destroyed. You were destroyed because he was such a part of your everyday life at that moment. Like, how can he be gone? How can he be gone? And how can we not involve you in his death? We involved you in his life. So your age was what made me think not to wake you up, but that was a mistake. You should have been a part of that. And what was my reaction like? You know, what, what, like, what, so I woke up, I came downstairs, everything, the bed was gone, he was gone. And what, so right. what, yeah, what, do you remember any of that? Do you remember like the specifics? Yes. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, and you, you went into that room and you just, you sat there, you sat on the floor and you cried. Oh. I remember that. You, you were so, so, so sad you didn't get to say goodbye. And I, I know that is was impactful for you mm. because that was the only way you knew him through death. You didn't know him well in life because he didn't live healthy in near us. Yeah. He lived in Florida. So your your contact with him was through death. Mm. And it was very gentle on your side, even at that time. I mean, really, you would come in every day and go right to see grandpa and then get him his urinal and empty it and bring it back and go back out and play. Yeah. Oh, it was quite Im- impactful for you. And, and that was something, not, I don't know if it was our religion or it was, a, it's a bubba mycin though. You shouldn't have children around people who are, are dying or dead, mm. which was what a lot of actually adult people were saying to me. How can you have death around your young children like you do? Meaning when you had grandpa in the house, you heard that from people around you? Like, why would you oh, do this? yeah. Really? Yeah. Friends, my friends, they were just, why would you bring your dad home into your house when he's dying around your little kids and find and have have them have to deal with that, (sighs) which blew me away. Yeah. So, but how, but it's a good, it's a good, I'm curious what your thought process was in bringing him to, to us. Yeah. How did you think about it? Well, you know, I certainly had visited with Grandpa and Graham maybe three, four times while Grandpa was sick. And the last couple months of his life, I could not leave him. Yeah, I did not want him and my and Graham in Florida. I right. needed to have them close to mm-hmm. me, and I needed to be the one to take care of Grandpa. Yeah. So that the decision was pretty easy for me, and we turned the dining room into a hospital room, and he his life became part of ours. And yeah. so as did his death. And there was never a choice to be honest, Brent. Mm. I never even said, questioned it. Of course I was yeah. going to bring him into my house. Yeah. That, that was something I, 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 I did. And you'll know why mm. be honest. Another reason it would help me grieve better. Yeah. 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 I was able to give back because my father never realized what he could have had in me as a daughter. And mm. I could give this back to him. Wow. And, and if I can go further with that, that was probably one of the greatest blessings I had in my life because while he was in my house and while he observed me, he was able to say things to me like, I am so sorry I wasn't a better dad. Mm. I see how you are with your children, and I wish I had been like that with you. Wow. And, I mean, that was like such a, that was an apology of, ah, that was permission. Like, it gave me permission to feel that I connected with him somehow, that he understood once, because, and this isn't necessarily a part of something in your life, but mine, as a girl growing up in the 60s, my father did not, didn't put much, he didn't invest much in me at all because I was going to get married and have children. That was the bottom line. Mm. He didn't feel like he needed to invest or direct me in any way. So I was just kind of dismissed a lot. And I didn't like that. I and bet. this was the way I could let him know what he could have had in the most loving, greatest way. 
Wow, that's beautiful, Ma. Yeah, you I never mean, knew that story. No, 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 no. I never did, and I also, all, I, and I also know that having him in the house for me was, I mean, it's a, it, it's a, it's a monumental memory of my life, and monumental because seeing him go through the death process for me as someone who, I mean, you know, it's very interesting to me. Like, I mean, I, the, the, the whole process of dying is really interesting in the sense of giving us all the desire to live. Knowing about dying is really what then kind of gives you this desire to live the fullest of every day. Cause you don't know how many, how many days you got left. And so at a young age, seeing that happen and that memory live in me, I think always was part of shaping me. It probably was. And as we, we know only too well, there's only one thing you cannot get back in this life. Yeah. And if you don't make the time work now, it's gone. Yeah. And that thing is that you can't get back? Time. Yeah. Right. You cannot get time back. You always think you have more time. Mm. Always. Every minute you're alive, you still think you have more time. Mm. It ain't It ain't so. And you've seen enough people pass, your father included. Yep. We always thought we had more time with him. Yeah. It's, and when it's over, it's over. Right. Yeah. And so did you, that's a great, like, lesson. So in the sense of that, we all do take time for granted. I take time for granted. I always think I'm, I'm waking up tomorrow and probably most people, and I'm sure everybody listening to this show thinks that they're waking up tomorrow. And so how do you, as you have been through now a lot of life, how do you take that lesson and apply it to life? It's interesting you ask, right? because I am exactly at the crux of that point in my life. Mm. And for me, I make decisions based on, honest to God, the moment and my desire. And I make my priorities that are, of course I have to care for other people and have to do what I need to do for them. But when I have my own time, I am using it 100% for my fulfillment. I didn't ever do that. I never did that. I put everybody's fulfillment before mine. Well, in the last couple of years, I have learned, of course, I can't get time back. And I, and it's essential that I make the moment I have right now, the best moment it can ever be. And I'm doing, living my very best life. And I don't think if I had not been through all of what the life has taught me with tragedies and joys and celebrations that I would be capable of doing this right now. Mm -hmm. It's growth. Right. And so when, when you, you know, when you have a day tomorrow and and that day is yours and and you don't have anything on the calendar, you are going to do stuff that you enjoy and love doing. You're going to live, like live. Yes. And a a lot of times it's for other people. Mm. It's just stopping Mm. by and saying hi to somebody who I know is going through a hard time. It's taking my friend to the doctor. It's hanging out with people who mean, who fill me up. And I don't waste time and energy on people who don't anymore, Mm. ever. That's over. When did you, when did that change? It's been uh, for a few years. For it's been for a while, but not as probably since I was able to retire from work and, yeah. and prioritize things in my life. That's when I made that change. I made that change within my life, within my marriage. I started doing Barbara and not everybody else. And now I'm so thankful I did because I have a, a basis and a foundation. And, and, uh, and I'm doing that and it's sometimes, and I'm not, well, honestly, I don't feel selfish about it at all. I've always been everything for everybody. If I can always wanted to be that person. Now it's time for me to make this moment uh, as alive as I can make it. Cause I don't have a lot of moments left. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the other part of it. You learn it as age comes on and as your body starts to break down mm-hmm. 
all those things you knew you had in your life were going to go forever. You see evidence that it's not. So how do we apply that to uh, life if we're younger? Yeah. If you're younger. Yeah. For you, it has to be for everybody, but especially for you when you're younger with children and careers and, and so many things that, 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 cross your path along the way every single day. You have to be intentional. You have to be 100% intentional. If that means getting up that morning and making that happen with doing one nice thing for one person or one nice thing for yourself, Mm. you have, it it fills you up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. At the end of the day, you are satisfied. And and it's it's not material things at all. It's being around the people who fill you up. Yeah, that's so true. I know. I have learned that. I have learned that. And meaning like the things that really, yeah, the things that really fulfill you in being intentional are thinking like, okay, what does fill me up or who are the people that fill me up? And then being intentional about going, going not after those people, but being with those people or doing things for those people or. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the other part is for me, I wake up intentionally every day, no matter how sad or bad or dark the day before was with gratitude. Mm. I am very intentional about gratitude and I wake up with it every day because I've had a lot of things in my lifetime that if I didn't wake up that way, I could have all kinds of garbage talk in my brain about what I don't have or couldn't do and shouldn't do and didn't do. But all those things I did do right. And I do have in my life. I'm so I'm every day. I'm grateful for really every day. And, and when you, so you wake up with gratitude and you, you purposefully think to yourself, what do you think? What like gratitude for waking up and breathing gratitude for what I did good yesterday. What to talk a lot about that, about that. Yeah. Well, I, to be honest with you, I always think I'm going to wake up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, me too. Really, I haven't gotten to that point where I'm grateful yeah. that I wake up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I am so grateful that I can jump up out of bed yeah. that I can go to exercise that I can go help that person who I know is hurting so bad because they either have maybe a sick child or another example is helping one of my co-workers children read because she has children she works hard she needs a tutor for her mm. ch- for her little girl who got ABD and yeah. she needs somebody to sit down and intentionally spend so much time with them I do that I will do that I will do that for people I really care about. Yeah. I knew it for probably everybody. Yeah. I didn't know this woman before we became friends and she was young. She's young and two and children and no husband. And just, I knew I could help her. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, you've always been that you've always been the, the, such a caretaker for people always so much. Well, that's because it fills me up. Right. Right, right. My, my my inmates filled me up more than anybody ever. Oh, well, it's crazy you said that because I was just about to ask you about that in well, terms of your inmates. Work. So, 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 yeah. Let me let me let me lay this foundation for everyone. So, so, mom volunteers at right. a at a jail in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she she volunteers and. Yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about that work, Ma, because that's some powerful work. That has probably filled me up more than any paycheck in my whole life. Mm -hmm. But this work involves, it's an 11-step program, and it's teaching inmates how to communicate, how to listen, that they matter, how to be at peace, that their thoughts, also because they made a, a mistake, they're not defined by it and they're not bad people, but they made bad choices. And we, when you, as I did, I certainly didn't know their crimes and I didn't want to know because I didn't want to sit in judgment of anybody. There were her, hurting human beings mm-hmm. and I'd work with men one day and women the next. And what was so interesting with men were much more forthcoming than women. Wow. About uh, just about everything vulner- vulnerably. Yep. Trusting issues. They were much more because they didn't, they, the men weren't afraid that the other men were going to judge them. 
Oh, so interesting. But so the women were. And so you, when you, like when you do this, do you sit, do they sit in like a circle and you're in the middle or how does it, what's the room like? Uh, there's about probably 20, 25 inmates, men, the women, and they sit in a, what's called a pod. Yep. And, the, and the, the pod has their cells that come into the pod when the class is called. Mm. And they sit in circles and then there's usually, I try to have, we try to have two or three facilitators like me and we all sit amongst them. Mm. And, and one person orchestrates the meeting and we all listen. We basically listen and no judgment and no fixing. It is just about being heard. And what's the biggest thing or what are the biggest takeaways you learned, like just from humanity, like from a humanity perspective in this work? The biggest thing I've learned, and, and this is probably something is not what you're thinking of, but the great importance of grandmothers. Mm. They are the grandmothers are the ones who have have been left to raise Many of these inmates and the the inmates are so grateful. They're grateful to their mothers. They're grateful that they're in jail because they're getting a second chance. Wow. They're grateful they have food. I mean, you talk about grateful. Huh, they're grateful if they get a toothbrush. Mm. But But what I've really learned is... They're wonderful actors and actresses, mm -hmm. but they all want the same things we want. They want to matter. They want to be loved. We're all more, so much more alike than different. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. You could be sitting in, in these circles, you, and you wouldn't know, you know, if you had a little striped suit on. Yep. We now, we now call you a resident. You're not an inmate Got anymore. it. Got it. That's good. I like you that. You wouldn't. You would not know. And so, Ma, when and you not stupid people. I, there are two guys who graduated from Chapel Hill. Yeah. A couple golf pros. I mean, these wow. are not stupid people. Wow. So it used to frustrate me. And so you said we're all so much more alike than we're not. Meaning, we all want what? We all want <clears throat> to matter. Mm -hmm. We want to matter, whether it's to, to your family, yep. to your significant other, yep. to your children. We want to matter mm -hmm. and, and we want to be heard. But yeah. we want, want to matter is, is number one. Yeah. And, and an inmate doesn't, well, how can he be mad? He matters. You know, he's got a number. Yeah, that's so true. How, Ma, how did you get into this work? I always liked the kids who were, I always liked to work with kids who were struggling. Yeah, right. You were a I remember you being a counselor yeah. growing up. Yeah, they opposed authority figures, just like uh, in uh, Bethlehem Central Middle School, I did what was called the shadow program. Yep. I took kids who were from, you know, different sides of the track, so to speak, who had nobody to help direct them. And not that people who are from every side of the track do not have people to help direct them, but these people were a little more lost yeah. and then we would meet and find out what they wanted to do when they grew up, if they had some goals, you know, this was middle school. And then I would find the appropriate person in that profession and have this, this teenager follow them to yeah. see if it's really a career they wanted. So that was called the shadow program. And that's kind of where, where, but then how did you begin to get into the jail system? The jail system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th this was actually, I didn't know it at the time, but I had joined an organization, it was called Red Boot. And it was basically in, in churches and quasi shops, uh, another kind of a group that was an 11-step program. And then I heard there was an opportunity to do that program in the prison system. Wow. And I volunteered and I got trained in the system and, and my status days now or because of COVID and I can't get yeah. into directly be one-on-one -on -one with them. I do something else for the prison system and not like that. Not, not the one-on-one like -on -one yeah. I love. Yeah. Yeah. Give me that kid. I want to love him up. I know you are. You are such a guy. <laughs> you are the best. No. You were. No, no, no. I, listen, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I was a lucky kid because I, I got all that growing up, yeah. which probably enabled me to do what I'm doing right now, you know, which is, well, you know, helping to try to, 
transform right. the way that Look we. Look at what you're doing. Yeah, the, the waking dad. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I think you had also an opportunity in our house. You there was a lot of flexibility. Mm. We didn't have. I didn't have. I didn't wasn't a real structured person. Your father was. Yeah. I was not. Yeah. So I guess that was a good balance because I was very flexible. Yeah. <laughs> You came home and you hit a car. We didn't tell Dad. We just took care of it. You, know? <laughs> you weren't going to do that again. And no. I didn't want you to have the wrath of Dad. That's right. So <laughs> That's right. You're right. It's no big deal. So what? You know, you hit a car. That's Nobody's right. hurt. That's right. I agree. I know. I know. Well, you know, I'm, I, I do the same thing at home. <laughs> when your kids. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, hundred percent. We should. We got to protect the kids. I know. Tell me about it. So, so there were some kind of pretty interesting moments throughout my childhood when we, like, when we moved from Albany, New York, to New Orleans, and then when we moved from New Orleans to Charlotte, and some moments like along the way, like the moments that kind of pop into my mind, like the moment I fell off the slide and like had amnesia for the day, and that was like a scary moment. And but like there was, I feel like there were a bunch of those moments. Were there a bunch of those moments for us as a family, or maybe for me, or what was that all about? Like you just said, there was a lot of transition. Yeah. And you learned a lot from your transition. You learned it from the school you went to. Yep. You learned it because we changed schools you went yeah. to. And all that helped you to grow. And, and I think to lighten up too, not to take life so seriously, to be able to laugh at yourself. And you could do that pretty well. Mm. You, you, weren't, you weren't that serious kid. You, you could laugh at yourself. Yeah. We, we, be very playful and realize, well, okay, Maybe it didn't work today. Maybe it'll work tomorrow. Yeah. You know, nothing yeah. was, that was kind of, nothing was in cement. We, we can change it. We, we were all flexible here. Yeah. Yeah. Flexibility was super it, key. And Well, for me, it was. Other people did better with structure, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. maybe I should have been more structured. With you. Well, <laughs> I think you, you were, I mean, I think you were a pretty creative person. And so most creative people, you're creative Pisces. You know, most creative people, structure is kind of a hard thing to, uh, to put into place, although uh -huh. you need it, but it is hard for creative people sometimes. Yeah. It, it, I, it's, I don't know. Do Pisces always like to break rules? Well, Pisces are like creative and spiritual and that's always been kind of your, oh, that's always been kind of your thing. God, the thing that just popped into my head was, which means we got to talk about it was I, there was a, there was a moment or there were a couple of times like where you would go see psychics like way, like oh, yeah. way back, like before I even got into it. Yeah. And like, oh my God. Yes. I need you it to talk about, sad. there were a couple moments where like things were said that were important. I went to a psychic in Woodstock, New York. Yes. Right near Woodstock, yep. obviously. And this was way before this was all popular. This wasn't popular at all. And she, what she did was how she read me was in a, on a tilted bed. I was <laughs> upside down. <laughs> my blood, the blood was flowing. Wow. And now, when I think of it now, and she recorded the session. It was pretty incredible. And I have that recording. Do you really? I have that recording. I listened the other day. I could not believe it. You're it's not, yeah, it's like things haven't changed all that much since the 70s when I did that. What did she, what did she say? What was some of the stuff? Uh, it was a lot of it at that time, if you recall, I was a, not young married, but it was married all well, in the 70s, mm -hmm. I guess. Well, maybe I was married, but you were born in 1974. Yeah. So um, it, 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 she really, she always says it was about trying to find me, trying to give me permission to be me. Yeah. Struggling with with more difficult personalities and not being able to become who I needed to be. Yeah. And, and of course, it took her, her 45 minutes to say that, but she gave me tools, how, you know, what to listen to. And it wasn't, well, it was meditating actually back mm. then. Of course it was meditating. Yeah. And I even bought one of those recline chairs. <sighs> And, and did it <laughs> upside down. I remember that thing, actually. 
It was I, green. I think I remember that thing. So, so, so really her message to you was in order to become you, you needed certain tools. What did, did just get out of your own way? Uh-huh. God. Basically, get, I mean, get out of your, just get out of your own way. Yeah. Stop overthinking everything. Just, you know, like everybody do something fearful, one fearful thing every day. Yes. Well, I mean, it, for me at that time, Hearing all that made sense, but it was very hard because I was bucking some pretty hard personalities totally. to try to yeah. become, because I was a gentle soul. Yeah. I was, I, I had a, a partner who was not, yeah. who saw things a little differently than yeah. I did. So it really impacted me to have to work harder to become me. And mm. that was Okay, because you know what? If I didn't, maybe I never would have. Yeah, I know the feeling. And do you, you know, as you look back on it, do, do, do you do you see that relationship with dad as one that helped you to become more of you or the opposite? No, I think after I, I got through all the sand yeah, yeah, and cobwebs, yeah. it definitely helped me to know more about what I needed and wanted because I had to find it all. Uh -huh. I had to search it. Yeah. I didn't have somebody to search with it. I yeah. had to search for it all myself. Yeah. And when when you get through to that and you know that and you're successful at it, yeah. it doesn't even matter what it is. It could be playing tennis. But when you become successful at doing something new and you realize, wow, that was impactful. Yeah. You want to do more new. Right. Right. You keep wanting, you keep wanting to do, but but we get stuck. We just get so stuck in our ways yeah. and comfort. Why? Why do we get stuck? That's a good, this is a good one. Why Why do we get stuck? Because it's easy. Yeah. It's comfortable. Yeah. We get stuck in bad marriages. Yeah. We get stuck in bad jobs. Mm. You know, you might get stuck with bad kids, but that you got to keep. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. You do. Those are things you get stuck. And when you think about what the energy it takes to change it, mm so overwhelming right. to stay in the dysfunction you know mm. rather than get into find a new one right because of the pain of getting out yeah and really the bottom line is we're just all trying to tolerate each other's imperfections god good one we're all trying to tolerate each other's imperfections yeah it's so because true nobody's perfect right but we want to think we want to think if only we had that person or only isn't about that. It's about you accepting your imperfections too. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So that's, that is fascinating about that psychic. Now you had seen some, <laughs> you had seen some other psychics along the way though, too. Well, after that I was, I saw more hand readers, uh -huh. a lot of that. Yeah. And I, I, in fact, I remember many times before the Jewish holidays, maybe a half a dozen times I went to this one psychic who she would read my hand, my palm. And she told me I was good. She told me all kinds of things about you, Tanya, and Scott. Do you remember what she told you? I do. I remember, I specifically remember Tanya was going to marry a Jewish guy. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> I, and, they, and you know what? And, and they told me about some of the injuries you had when you played football. Wow. I don't even know if you remember them, but yeah. now it's coming back to me. It was like, how could she know this? Wow. Like shoulder stuff? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How could she know this stuff? Wow. You know, I, That's I crazy. Well, listen, you you know as well as anybody oh. about these psychics. Oh, it's amazing. I know. I love it. I think it's, a, you know, I mean, I'm. I'm I mean, look, look at the one you and I went to. What, what, the, we oh, when, when Carolina was pregnant. Oh, uh, which one? What, who was that? She was great. She knew Carolina was going to have a boy. Right. And what did she say? Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. She, she I can't remember specifics. Yeah. She was good. She was amazing. She, yeah, you loved her. and, and you, you set me up with her. Oh, that's exactly right. Yeah, I know. Boy, we've been through a whole lot of psychics and healers and... Boy, haven't we? Intuitives know? and astrologers, man. We've uh, we've definitely supported that industry. No kidding. <laughs> Long before it was popular. I know it. I know it. Damn. Well, people think yoga just popped up. <laughs> yeah. Ancient. Yeah. Just like psychics. Everything to do with the mind has been around for years, astrologists. Right. Yeah. But now it's like fashion forward to mm. say... 
Yeah. I'm, and you know, I'm there, a meditator. I'm, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of it. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot, and some people like your rich prop. Oh yeah, that yeah, Richard prop, prop, yeah. Leader. Wow. Who does his healing on the astral plane at night? Unbelievable. Which is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. And it's and it's really sad when people aren't open to at least hearing these things. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. So you know wh- why? Uh, it's funny, I. You know, I'm seeing a lot more of the polarity of people who are open to things and people who are closed to things. Now, I have to imagine that like the open people has increased over time. Probably, I would imagine like when you were kind of growing up, not many people were open to this stuff. Not many. There was a very dear friend of mine, Barbara Gordon. Mm. Right. And she was a telepathic person. Was she? Every, yes. Everything she did was homeopathic. And this was going back to the 60s, late 60s. I didn't know that. She was the, she started it all with me. You're kidding. No, Barbara Gordon was way out there. Holistic, everything holistic. Everything. And it was so unpopular and people were so... They wanted to judge it, you know. Right. They wanted to judge Oh, she needs, well, she did need doctors as well. Yeah. She was very ill and she would not go. And she never she went, she never went to doctors? When it was too late. Yeah. She needed both. She, she needed both. Mm-hmm. She did not, she didn't, unfortunately, she might have had a death wish, to be honest with you. Uh, really? She was ready to go? Yes, because she had so many demons. From childhood? She had a rough childhood? I, I don't. Well, I think her mom was had mental issues Got it. and her sister and she couldn't fight it, Barb. Mm. She was the greatest, most giving, loving. I remember that. Such a just je- open, gentle, yeah. kind spirit. Yep. Yep. Barbara was the cat's, you know, milk. <laughs> she was. Yeah. was. yeah. But um, she chose not to do these things. So, 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 Mom, I've had you for a while now, and this has been amazing. And what would you've really dropped some pretty amazing nuggets? You know, one of the things that I talk, I think about a lot is, is, and it was for me too. I mean, this is you know a lot of why I'm doing what I'm doing. But one of the things you know I have thought about a lot is why is it so hard for people to be who they truly are? It's the question that I, when I ask it, I have so much fierceness in it. And you have been through a lot of years. And why is it so hard for people to be who they truly are? One word, Mm. judgment, Mm. judgment. In fact, I could bring that back to you doing what you really are doing. This is who you are, but you were afraid people would judge it. Yeah, for so long. I know it. I know it. That, I know it. That's it in a nutshell. Judgment. And why are we so afraid of judgment? Yeah. Well, that's the question. Yeah. How come there is in, in our world, there's that plateau where if you don't do what's expected of you, you get judged. Yeah. Because everybody wants to think they know the best way to do it. And they don't let everybody be and do who they are because it doesn't go along with what is happening today or what they what the other person thinks is a logical way to think. Right. People judge everybody's thinking. Right. Everybody's logical in their own way, but if it's not the way you are, then you want to sh- we all want to tell everybody our opinion. Yeah. 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 We're all just opinionated assholes. We judge people like that. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. I, I do it too. And I'm not a judging person. Yeah, right. And so, so which makes it that much harder to show up authentically as who you are, which is what the struggle has been, you know, or was for me for so long, which was, I know who I am. I know I've, I've, I've known what's in there, the tender and the gentle and the vulnerable, but it was so hard for me to just come out and express all the time. Yeah, well, you were judged totally perfect. I mean, this male, this very handsome yeah. young man, and he, he he wants to be soft. Yeah, right. And gentle. Yeah. Well, that's not macho, and that's what you're, you know, a man is, that's, it, it, it's it's the criteria 
of what somebody thinks somebody else should be. Where did I learn that? Oh, your father. Is that right? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. He had such a high bar mm-hmm. of expectations mm-hmm. from every one of us. Yep. Yes, it helped shape every one of us, but yes, it was a very hard bar to struggle to to get to that person you are. Meaning, meaning his expectation was what? That as a male, you would go out and earn and like, what was his expectation? It wasn't necessary. It wasn't gentleness. Yeah. It was being successful to him was like, it would be good grades. It would be being good on at your, the sports you were yeah. at. It would be everything was, you had to be the very best of what you were doing mm. in that moment. Mm. You were not cut any slack, okay? And what's, that's, man, that's a big one. And what, and what is the truth? was I. I know, nobody. And what is the truth? Oh, the truth. The truth is it doesn't matter. Mm. That isn't who makes you who you are, whether you've made, you know, millions or whether you've won the football game. You are the truth is you're not defined by those things. You, you know, that's the appearance of what you are presenting, but you're not defined by those things. But society has already put that on you. Yeah. Even before your father came into your life, that right. society has put those things on you. And I think it's changing. Yeah. I think it's changing, Brent. I know. I know. I do too. I feel like that's, it's part of, I think, what I'm up to, you know? I do too. You're you're ahead of it. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I think that this is where people and the world and things are heading and those that are unable to connect with their hearts and be vulnerable and be compassionate and be empathetic. I think the future is going to be challenging. I think so too. I think those are the people who are going to have more trouble with acceptance than the people who are able to be in touch with their hearts. Yeah. Yeah. And what it, what makes their heart full. Yeah. I know it. Cause you got to accept, you got to accept yourself before, before anyone else. Yeah. If you're a meditator, you do it. If you're, you know, a gymnast, you do it. If you want to be a painter, you do it. And and then you're fulfilled. Right. For you, you're not fulfilled for your wife or your kids or your family. It's just for you. And it's okay to be that. Yeah. And no amount of money is going to ever fulfill you. And I, I used to, and I used to think that it would. Now, it, I mean, don't worry. I mean, it helps and it makes life easier. You, you need it. You need, yeah, it's you damn. It's a necessary evil. It's a necessary evil. That, you but you know, it. but you've also known a lot of people who have made a whole lot of money. And are those people happy? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're they're. I mean, they're they have wonderful, wonderful distractions in their life mm. that only money can pay for. Mm. And, and if you're in a bad place and it's a sad time for whatever's going on, why wouldn't you want to go on a trip or yeah. go buy yourself a, a diamond or yeah. a new car? If you can do that, that'll fill you up for a minute or two. Yeah. Yep. But it won't fill you up in the long term. And the thing that fills you up in the long term is. It's really learning how to love yourself. And then you can share that love with someone else. Mm -hmm. If you don't love yourself first, I mean, and I'm saying, I mean, I've, I've gotten, me personally, I've gotten lots of criticisms over the years about lots of things that I have done that don't go along with the norm. Listen, my saying is ask, ask forgiveness, not permission. And and I I live that way. I know you do. (laughs) I know you do. I love that too. And so what? Yeah. I mean, so some, so so, uh, so somebody will be upset. If, yeah. But but I I'm gonna do what's in my heart of hearts that I want to do. Yeah. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Right. Right. But so it, it helps me to be fulfilled and to love myself when I can act on those things and not hurt anybody along the way. And mom, because I, I mean, look, I, you know how I feel about you. I just, you know, I think, I, I, I mean, I got, I do feel like I got the best of the best for you. And, and I think it, look, I think it helped, I think it helped me. And I think it's going to help a lot of people too, quite honestly. What is your advice for parents and for people raising mm-hmm. kids? And, you know, because it's not, it, 
A, it's not easy, and B, it's not easy in this day and age, especially with all the everything going on. What's and C, it's not even that easy. And C, it's just not even that easy. But what are what were some of the philosophies that you used in raising us and me? Uh, I, I believe one-on-one time with your child is essential. And making them feel they matter because you brought these kids and they are your job. And also you, when you fill them up like that, they can leave you easier. So I, I think definitely one-on-one time with a child, I think rigidity is, goes out the door. I think you have to allow your child to be vulnerable with you, set it up so they can be vulnerable with you. And, and then you, you, as you know better than anybody, you have greater trust amongst each right. other. When you are vulnerable, the yep. relationship goes deeper. Yep. And, and really, the flexibility, listening to your kid, spending time with your kid. Do those three things. You'll not know now. Like, I would never have known when I was doing all those things that this would come back to me through you. Yeah. But that I know. I was having a cup of international coffee with my kids. That's right. And loving, and loving every minute of it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. No, it would set them up to be a, you know, psychologist, psychobabble, or Ish, you know, whatever. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> something ist. <laughs> I mean, I, and, I, and I feel now very satisfied about that. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't know when I was doing it. You yeah. never know how it's going to come back to you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, and one more thing, mm. and I think... Honestly, and this is about your sister. Yeah. Her watching all of what I did, like for dad and for yeah. for grandpa, and she's now doing it for it. her grandmother. I know it. I know what it. Stuff. Well, wow. you, you know, you 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 do what you see, not what you're told. You do what you see and not what you're told. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. And, and we're all going to screw up. It's just a part of what gets us to be better. Yep. Really, it does. Yep. Yep. You're right about that. Oh, God. You know, I've done that a lot, too. Well, we all have, Mom. It's all part of the deal. It's all part of the deal. <laughs> and I, I, you know what? I didn't know it was okay. Right. To screw up. I well, well okay. I mean, we, we no, no, Not no. to be okay. Yeah. Nobody had too long of a leash in our house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like maybe I had the longest, but, you you know, but not many other people did. (laughs) But it's taken many years to know it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. And that's another thing. And that's, there you have it, honey. Yeah. And it's okay to be who you truly are and go and move into the world that way. Whether whether or not people give a, whether or not people... Uh, will judge or not judge because the thing I have learned is what other people say and think is none of my business. Period. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I am, and I will be judged till the day I die. I'm judged every day because of some of the outrageous things I like to do yeah. to be me. And I don't care. Yeah. I know I don't you don't. Care. I don't care. I want to wear purple hair if I want to. I know. It's not hurting anybody else. Yeah. I'm just, being me and that's very hard you're doing it i am doing it i am but it there ain't nothing easy about trying to find who you really are out it's all and 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 it really is the most important work in life yep i mean you're more comfortable when you can yeah that and being able to pay your rent those are the two things because even though the rent doesn't allow you to be who you are the the rent takes the pressure off of what you have to do to pay it so, so, so figure out who you are and figure out how to pay your rent and you're in good shape. And that is Fig- really the story. Figure out who you are, figure out how to pay your rent and make sure you have, you are in deep connection with your children. Absolutely. And that, yeah, and people who you, you love, who you love. And people who you your love. Your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a special people. And the special people. Well, that's a very comprehensive time with you, Mama. I know, Brent. This was well. We've never had a a one-on-one like this. No, and you know, I'll tell you what's interesting. As I was doing this, was I was thinking to myself, everyone should interview their parents. Everyone, like, what a cool thing to do. Because I'm, you know, I'm sitting here asking you questions I would never ask you. 
if we were sitting in a room together. I'm asking you because I'm interviewing you for this show for, so other people can hear your wisdom and knowledge. But the truth is I've learned so much through it. Well, honey, you lived through it. Yeah, but, you know, it's also, it's a... It's but, a but now I, I am, uh, yeah, speaking it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I can't wait to see what this is going to sound like. Well, you're going to hear it soon. Thank you for being on the show, Mom. Oh, Brent. Thank you for the opportunity of letting everyone know why you're as special as you are. Oh, my, you're the best. You're the specialist. Love you. <laughs> I love you too, honey. Hey, thanks for being with us today and joining me in my mission to help 100 million children live out their greatest life. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the Awakened Dad podcast and share with your friends and follow us on Instagram at The Awakened Dad. If you like what you heard today, please make sure to listen to our other episodes and thank you for being with us. 